Hello everyone, welcome to Change Champions Season 2. You're here with Charlene Thompson and Trish Downey. Hi. Today we are talking about influencing team dynamics. Um, it's a conversation that uh, really riled us both up because uh, I have a theory about it based on um, my netball teams and Trish has also uh, um, had experience with it with uh, the area uh, where she lives and, the, and her community. Um, but firstly, team dynamics, obviously it's, it's important that a team can work well together as well as in individuals being able to work on their own. But, you know, we speak about psychological safety and why that's important. And obviously it should be led by the leader, but it's also reinforced by members of the team. Um, if it's being degraded, it can be degraded very much by one person that can bring everything down. We've, we've heard these things on LinkedIn, like, you know, when you've got your good members of staff watching you just go, okay, yeah, whatever, to the bad members of staff and just let them carry on doing their rubbish, it really does affect the good members of staff because it's just like, well, if they can get away with all this rubbish, why am I over here working so hard? Why don't you deal with it? You know? Um, yeah, I, I entirely agree that um, turning a blind eye, not wanting to rock the boat, a lot of people are kind of like, well, let's not make a fuss. And I'm sure they didn't mean that. And, and this candor about calling out bad behavior, that's quite hard to achieve if you're already feeling, uh, you know, like you, you're maybe you're, you're a quiet introvert anyway, um, which neither of us really is, but we've we've seen this. Uh, but also, if you if you don't feel safe to speak up, that it's very hard then to to be candid. Uh, so just tell tell us a bit more about the netball team dynamic, where the theory came from. Yeah, well, it's because I've been playing. I played netball at school, but I started playing again roughly as an adult what twelve years ago, I think. And I, um, you know, all of the teams that I've been on have had really, really friendly women, just great to get along with, makes you want to, makes you want to play. Um, and uh, my recent team, so I've only changed teams because I've changed uh, locations of where I've been living in London. And my recent team, we've been discussing how nice our team is. And even when we have ringers helping us out, they always comment on the fact that we're just really nice and they're very happy to help us out, right? And so we've been trying to figure out why that is. And really in thinking about it, as I said, all of my teams have been nice. And so we kind of came to the possible theory that is it just because we've got loud, nice people on our team? And, and like, I'm one of the loud, nice people. and. Um, is that all it takes to shift it? Because the bad teams have people that are really argy-bargy, the ones that clearly take out all of their frustration from the day into the game. The ones where my, my automatic comment is, we pay to play netball, netball's not paying us, calm down. You know, like obviously we're playing the game and it's competitive and things like that, but really you're, you're going on like as if this is the Olympics, calm down. Um, and we don't have any of those people on our team and I've never played with those people. And so we're thinking, is it because if you do have loud, nice people, then everybody else can calm down and just obviously, again, calming down doesn't mean we're not competitive and we don't want to win. But everybody else um, can 
acclimatize to that so that everybody just gets along and everybody just feels a little bit more fluid and um, nicer about things. Whereas if you've got meaner people, then everybody else feels protected and hard. Yeah. And that's, the, that's my theory because I'm not lucky. <laughs> I'm not special, uh, you know, but all of my teams have had really, you know, the kind of people that you definitely do want to go for a drink with afterwards, which we do on occasion in the summer. But, you know, and so then that's what led me to believe it. Is that also what happens in teams? I, I also concur with that, you know, sort of reflecting on just having moved uh, house and moved town completely to a different sort of street. And um, one of the fabulous things about this street was that um, they'd set up a WhatsApp group during COVID just to make sure that uh, everybody was okay and if we weren't seeing each other, that if people needed help. And the uh, WhatsApp group has continued as like a um, just a community thing, a community chat, uh, people helping each other, people getting to know each other, uh, the setting up social events, helping out with things. Uh, and as new joiners, it's been a fantastic way of getting to know people in the street. So immediately, you know, wanted somebody to do some cat sitting. Uh, we had a shelf unit that we no longer needed and we wanted to know if anybody needed it. And then, you know, people just joining. So there's this kind of community chat going on. But uh, the person who started the chat group and a number of the people who are active in the community are these loud, nice people. So the whole uh, ethos, the whole dynamic of that is is kind of nice uh, and it's a great place you know you want to take part in it you want to do things and you want to give to this team so I'm with you in this kind of nice and nasty but what if you happen to be a quiet nice person what then what's your take on that Charlene? Ah, I, I consider myself to be ambiverted uh, because there have been times in my life and there are still times when I I just need to not speak <laughs> for a little bit. I just need to sit in my corner. Um, I know how I help quiet people. Uh, I'd be interested to know what you think as to how um, quiet people can make a difference in those teams that are either leaning towards nice or leaning towards nasty. But how I, as an ambiverty person, as a loud, nice person, uh, help quiet people is when I'm in team meetings and mostly they're on Zoom now, uh, which might actually make it easier. But when you can see someone trying to speak, when you can see somebody doing this or they've taken themselves off mute, but they've been there for a couple of minutes because they're, they're just waiting. It's like when people are trying to pull out onto the motorway and they just can't. You, you, if you know that they can't, you stop and you let them go. So when you're in a meeting, you say, well, Kevin, what was the sorry? What was that? You, I, I've actively been just interrupting when I can see the space where I would have jumped in if I don't have anything to say. And I know Tina's over there and she's been trying to speak for ages. I will actively say, Tina, sorry, what was that? I thought, uh, you know, like as if she had said something and I just didn't hear. Because we all naturally then go, oh, sorry, Tina. <laughs> what was it? And Tina gets to speak, you know? And I think, you know, I think that helps a lot because they you, you are forcing the mic into their hands but they're not going to get it any other way unless you do it's it's like i i know how to walk through the door so if i'm going to walk through the door i'm going to keep it open for you 
Mm. Yeah, and it's sort of, uh, I think you have to be actively scanning for that. Uh, so that's where you can uh, work on your own self-awareness, uh, you know, looking for signs that people want to speak. Uh, there is the, you know, like uh, the reactions on Zoom. I'm just thinking uh, is, you know, like a raised hand. Mm. Sort of thing. I just flipped screens there. <laughs> I didn't realize. <laughs> but it's it's not very. It's not very kind of eye catching, is it? No, uh, I, I, I really think that um, I could take the lower hand now off there. It's not eye catching. So you've got to be looking for somebody like, say, having taken themselves off mute, perhaps sitting forward in their chair. Uh, they might even be going, you know, sort of yeah. like like this. Uh, it, but they they don't feel that they should interrupt, especially if it's somebody more senior giving forth. Yes. Whereas um, due to my nature, I don't really have that problem <laughs> or I can find the openings uh, just slightly quicker. So I, I'm just thinking, you know, I was asking you the question, but actually just thinking if I was still quiet, we've mentioned previously in past episodes and, you know, a lot of us would have read the books where you have to find your advocate when you're going into uh, certain meetings and maybe we should be finding the people of influence, finding the advocates when we don't have something major to say, but just in general, you know, if you can uh, become acquainted with someone who you know you can get along with, they're more likely to see you and notice all of those things. And you can ask them explicitly, look, I have trouble speaking up in meetings, but um, I'm really interested in this. And if you feel like as if, uh, if, you, if you've seen me and you see that I'm trying to say something, would you mind just you know, easing me on in there? If you can have that conversation, it's worth having it. But when, when you are quiet, it is e it's easier for people to not see you. So, you know, this is it, when you are networking, when you are making friends with, with people, even on the lightest possible level, they're more likely to just notice you when you're in the room or when you're on the call. And then they can see those slight little bits as well. So it all helps. I, I've found I've, uh, I've joined a couple of different um, forums in the last six months. I'm not going to mention specifics, uh, but groups where um, there might be eight or nine people in the, and they've been predominantly Zoom because of COVID. Um, and what I've kind of noticed is there's certain people, maybe because it could be to do with their age or seniority or the amount of time that they've been in that group, that they just like to give forth. <laughs> yes if I was being unkind I'd say witter on <laughs> yeah but they're used to being the person that's correct yeah yeah and I get the impression that one or two of the groups I've been in me and a couple of other people have been invited to those groups uh to change the dynamic uh, a little bit yes. as, as, as um, not being people who are uh, terribly deferential or terribly good at shutting up and sitting, you know, like sitting quietly. Yes. I call it sitting on your hands. Yes. I, I'm not, I'm not one of those people. Um, 
but it's it's interesting and me and one other team member were having a kind of one-to-one because we're working on a piece of work together and we both independently said this you know that that this is how we're finding it and it was interesting to see that somebody else knew was finding it like that as well um so what's what's your take on that if you notice the same sort of thing in some groups oh yes yes definitely uh because again it's how quickly we um what's it word uh you know yeah children are resilient but what's the other word it's how quickly we acclimatize effectively we just because hmm, the brain doesn't like to change things it doesn't like to do things differently so if it says well this is how this is going to go it just prepares itself for this is how it's going to go if you're going in a meeting with these people you know and you know you won't be able to get a chance to speak you go in expecting not to be able to get a chance to speak so you don't you end up not trying to change it because what's the point and you know that doesn't happen immediately it happens over days weeks and months and years so that whole welcoming new blood into the system where you don't have the long history of just listening to John, you know, it's, you're going <laughs> to ask questions. And people do find it refreshing because it, it's, it's harder if you're already in an established situation to all of a sudden be different. Mm. It is harder. And that's why bringing in new people, God forbid diversity, uh, into a team and, and things like that, it helps. It helps to move things around. Um, but then also it raises the question of you shouldn't ever get stuck in a rut with certain teams where the dynamic is always the same and it's always in one direction and you're not actually in a position where you can you can question things because I had a boss one time who was adamant that she was so um, she was so very well read on uh, leadership books and she really was but she was she was adamant that she was very much a person who always wanted to know people's opinions and she said it all the time she couldn't stand anyone saying their opinion <laughs> so the behavior didn't actually go with you know it's like they hated it yeah hated it you'd get on a call with her and she would just talk at you for 53 minutes and then give you the last seven to go so everybody understands that yeah and there, there'd be no questions you know if she received the question you could see it she was visibly irritated but she believed that she wanted to know other people's opinions and it's just like, I think there's a few people out there that are like that. I came across, we're having a conversation amongst trainers. I just need to get a, a prop here. Um, the other day about how you encourage uh, participation and how you uh, get people to feel safe uh, to speak up. And one of the trainers showed me what she does, uh, which I thought was a bit more fun than, than the um, reactions on Zoom. Uh, so she had said, has everybody make these little <laughs> kind of things and you kind of like this. All right. And if you're not sort of entirely happy, you know, so you could, that it's a lot more in your face than the, you know, putting the, raising the hand sort of thing. You could even have one, I guess. It's just, but the main thing is they've got to be quite bold mm. uh, so that you can, people can see them. And so, so uh, black ink on white paper, is good or dark yeah. ink on pale paper is good for that sort of thing but i'm going to try this out in a training session next week because i thought that was such a good idea because uh uh there are certain groups that are reticent about uh participating yeah because it's the fear of the reaction again if you don't 
if your psychological safety level is a bit mm, a bit unbalanced it's it's very hard to be able to put your words together and then actually actively saying them whereas holding up a piece of paper you don't have to say what it is that you're grumbling about just yet you can just say i've got a grumble and then if somebody, somebody says what is your grumble then it just buys you the extra second to uh, figure out exactly what you've got to say and you know that might for people who are very comfortable speaking up that might seem a bit unnecessary but as we can tell, we're in a world where tons of people who want to say stuff aren't saying it because they're afraid. You just said something that sparked a thought in my mind there. It's not even uh, just speaking up, it's speaking. I mean, you and I are quite confident about speaking because we've had a quite a bit of practice uh, training people, making videos, standing up and you know, having to, to speak in front of groups. But again, I think people who are not used to that, uh, they're worried that they're going to stumble over their words, they're going to um and ah and not be able to get their point over. And so that that anxiety, it's, it's just easiest, less personal risk to me to just not say anything. Yeah, yeah. And as well, where we're working in, um, a lot of us are working in international companies, I speak really fast. And um, I work with a lot of um, a lot of people from different European countries now. And so I'm finding myself wanting to say what I need to say and then slowing down. They're, 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 they can understand English perfectly fine. <laughs> but I still think, let me slow down just in case, because it's just rude, <laughs> quite frankly, to then speak really, really fast and possibly say some words that aren't normal English uh, <laughs> because they're slang. And then it makes it harder for someone to understand you. So then it's, I need to say what I need to say. I need to get all my thoughts together. I need to get them out. And then I need to slow it down and make sure it's exactly clear what I'm saying. Otherwise it can get lost in translation. That's a lot to go through before you say something. Mm. Yeah, we take for granted uh, being native English speakers. Uh, I can't even imagine doing this, you know, sort of a, a, a big meeting or a presentation in your second or third language uh, the challenge of that and if you put that together with somebody who is unaccustomed to um, public speaking and feels that anxiety uh, so anything that we can do to help people yeah. uh, recognize that you know it might be slowing down it might be saying things a couple of different ways it might be trying to I'm a big fan of word pictures trying to create analogy or word pictures around mm. you know and make things visual that's where the the little uh, things yeah. that's holding up kind of uh, um appeal to me because so many people are are visual learners visual assimilators yeah definitely and you know those bilingual people as well could be some of the people who are trying to speak up and we can open the door for them because you know everybody's experts in their own fields and it's it is so much easier to let uh, the person who's always been speaking the loudest just let them carry on because I oh, will end up having to do that stuff anyway and it's easy for it to just weigh you down and erode confidence um, and if you do have a little bit of confidence to spare why not share it I think be being uh, working on your own body language as well to show people you know uh what you think we're, we're maybe 
depending on your upbringing, background, your culture, we are maybe told that it's not polite to uh, show how you're feeling in, in, you know, or it's not polite to interrupt, for example. Particularly, I think growing up as a girl uh, that, that often was told, you know, don't interrupt, stay quiet unless you, you know, don't don't say anything unless you're asked. Uh, sort of thing. So there was a kind of definitely a generational thing of not being encouraged to yeah, don't interrupt a bloke while he's speaking. So well, definitely. And like, especially with senior, I had a, not a bad therapist, but a therapist that said something bad <laughs> one time where uh, I was talking about work stuff. And I'm just like, well, the senior leader is asking us to do something which will cause damage <laughs> to the project that is nearly... You, you can't fix it it'll be very difficult to fix um and so I was talking about well I'm just going to have to tell him um quite clearly and firmly exactly what's going to happen and I think she was saying something online online sort of well you know they don't really like to be told no I'm like that's nice but no is the answer <laughs> so just like I can pretend everything's fine because then when it messes up whose fault is it it's mine so if, if if a leader cannot take being told no, then again, probably needs to look at themselves a little bit more to figure out why they can't take opposition. Obviously, you don't go around going, no, you're wrong, or no, you're rubbish, la, 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 la. You know, if you have to say no to somebody who is senior than you, or anyone really, try to find, uh, try to figure out another solution to give them another road to go down. If nothing, if nothing else, think of it as give them some place where their emotion can go. Because mm. if you told them something and they're feeling lots of emotion, give them an outlet. Mm. If you just tell them something and just leave them there, that's where the problems start. Uh, but yeah, I was literally told, well, you know, leaders don't like to be told no. It's like, <laughs> this is how we have problems. I, I agree with you. And I, I've got a piece of work that I'm starting on next week with exactly that. I'm trying to help a project team where they are delivering the second iteration of a project that went um, not badly wrong last time, but it caused a huge amount of stress and caused some quite serious well-being issues amongst the project team. But this senior leader got their way mm. um, and people don't want that to be the same this time. So helping the team find ways of being able to uh, properly establish the really clear objectives and also decision-making roles. There isn't a proper sponsor or steer co setup. Uh, so this person has been able to behave like a bit of a spoiled child yeah. and stamp their feet and get their way and to the detriment of other people. So um, I, I'm, I'm kind of intrigued and and uh, really interested to try and be able to help this team go through that same journey uh, and put in place some of those really great project management uh, principles like having a crystal clear objective a set of agreed deliverables a priority in you know sort of what's a nice to have versus a must have uh, what is what are the triple constraints? You know, is it is it time? Is it resource? Is it the scope or the quality? And, and getting that established up front to be able to push back on these behaviours 
not in a just sort of straight, no, I'm not doing that, but this ain't going to work because, and let me give you the rationale and let me give you some alternatives about what will work. Yeah, definitely. Ah, so for, for other conversations, I want to uh, uh, get updated with how that's working. Um, thank you, everyone, today. I think we've run over a little bit <laughs> longer than we usually would. Um, thank you for listening. Thank you for watching. We'll be back with another episode. Um, please let us know uh, on LinkedIn, usually, where uh, how you, you found this and what your experiences are. Uh, so thank you, and we'll be speaking to you soon. Bye. Bye.